Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1048. Today, I want to get to the heart of understanding the will of God. Now, I want to speak to you about what I've already spoken to you about so that we are clear on this concept of the will of God. When I talk about knowing and understanding the will of God, I'm talking about those things that are not clear, precise precepts in the Word of God. The will of God is that we obey whatever He says to do. And those clear teachings of the Word of God, that's the will of God. In other words, it is God's will that all men be saved. And so every man has a responsibility to turn and walk in the light that he has. God will give him more light wherever he is, anywhere in the world. That person, if they are in deepest, darkest communist China, if they are in Indonesia, if they are in a Muslim country where they have never even seen a copy of the Bible, it is forbidden. If that person that's there has a desire in their heart to respond to the intuitive knowledge of the true God, They look in the heavens and they see that this is not some God of randomness, of chaos, but it is a God of design and order. And somehow they reach out. God will cause them to dream a dream. God will cause them to meet someone. God will cause some way to get the gospel message to them, or at least more light so they can respond or reject that. You see, the reality is, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so that is clear. You don't have to pray about sharing and witnessing with someone that God has put on your heart and brought immediately into your life. And it's obvious it is an opportunity for you to share about the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Once you are saved... It is not for you to pray about whether you're to be baptized or not. You are to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is commanded by God. It doesn't matter whether you feel like it, whether you think you should. You need to identify not just with the body of Christ, that is, that spiritual body of Christ that is all believers everywhere, but the emphasis in the Word of God is the local body of believers. And you find you a local body of believers. You say, well, I'm in a country where there are no other believers. Well, then you pray that God would allow you to share Jesus as he opens up the door for you. Ask God to bring other people your way. Ask God to do whatever it is. Many of you are listening to this podcast in countries where there is not a church on every corner and there may not be a church in your town, your city, your hamlet. But God will help you if you have the heart to obey. 
And more than anything, I'm talking to those who live in the United States where there's a church on every corner, but they are practicing consumer Christianity where they're trying to test the waters to see, well, what does this church offer me? What does that church offer me? If that church offers you nothing, you get in there and you do the best you can to teach the Word of God to them and live the Word of God to them. And it'll be amazing what you will see. Live your life in obedience. So I'm not talking about the will of God in the sense of, trying to find out, should I do this? Should I do that? If God says it, do it. And he'll give you the grace to do it. He'll give you the wherewithal to do it. He'll give you the power, the courage, everything else. But you've got to take the next step. God's already told you what to do. It's just a matter of you obeying. So I'm not talking about any of that. And I've just given you a couple of examples because the apostle Paul does. Now, in Romans chapter 10, there is a clear teaching about how we find the will of God. And in chapter 10, as you know, that is part of 9, 10, 11, that refers to how God dealt with the Jews, how he deals with the Jews, how he dealt with the Gentiles, how he deals with them now, how he will deal with the Jews, how he will deal with the Gentiles. But now during this epoch in which we live, this time period in which we live, this is the time when the church is formed and has been being formed for the last 2,000 years, but this time will end. And God will once again turn to the Jewish nation, and 144,000 Jews will be saved simultaneously, instantaneously, and they will look upon him whom they've pierced, and they will realize that Jesus is the Messiah, and they will turn to him and become God's evangelist to the earth, where Jews are scattered to the four corners of the earth, and they will witness to people, they will share Jesus with people, and millions, I believe, will be saved during the Great Tribulation period. And so that's for another podcast. What I want you to understand is, is that this is the part of Romans that deals with salvation, how it is brought about in the life of the Jew and the Gentile. God's not cast his people off. God's not finished with the Jewish people. The church hasn't replaced Israel. That is heresy. Now, hear me, that is heresy. That is not what God's word teaches. And if you believe that all the promises that God made to Israel are now literally nationally fulfilled in the church, then you have misread what the scriptures teach. I love you. We can have fellowship together. We can do things together. We can love one another. But I'm telling you, you are mistaken. And one of these days you're going to see, I'm very confident in what I believe. This is not some here say, this is just, if you just read the word of God and nobody messes with you that has studied formally theology in a Western seminary or in a European seminary somewhere, you just read the word of God and nobody messes with you. You're going to believe that God is still going to use Israel. You're going to believe that God is still working through the nation of Israel. You're going to believe that what happened in 1948 was a biblical fulfillment of prophecy. It was not randomness. It was not chance. It was not happenstance. God supernaturally brought Israel into existence for this age and for this last and final aliyah that they're making to Israel. So all to say, 
I just take the Word of God as it's written. If it's written in historical narrative, then I take it as historical narrative. And if biblical prophecy is prophesying of historical narrative that has not yet happened, then we must take it as historical narrative because prophecy is nothing more, nothing less than history written before it happens. It's history written in advance. And everything that God says is going to happen is going to happen because God's Word is true. And it does not matter what the culture is. It does not matter what the time period is, what the dispensation is, ever how you want to say that. God's Word is immutable. It never changes. And it is forever. It's forever settled in the heavens. And so in chapter 10, I want us to look at what Paul says when he talks about how that the Word is near you. This is verse 7 and 8. And he says, the Word is near you. And he said, it is in your mouth and in your heart. Well, the word that's translated word is the word rhema, R-H-E-M-A. The word for heart is cardia, where we get our word cardiac, cardia. That's just brought right over into our English language. And it is used about 800 times throughout the Bible in the Greek Septuagint and in the New Testament. And all but just a few times, it is talking about the innermost being of a man, not his blood pumper, not the organ that we call the heart. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about the inward part of a man. It is the same concept of splagna, which is the gut. That's why the King James Version of the Bible translates the bowels, the bowels of mercy. That means that the gut What is deepest on the inside of a man, that's where many of the Greeks believe that the innermost part of a man was in his bowel, his gut, on the inside of him. This is exactly what the word is. It's the word heart, and it's talking about the inside of a man. So the word is near you, the rhema. Now, that's very important because in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. Now, that's a word that has to do with concept, content, and there is an entire series of messages and studies just built around content of Logos and what it is and the way the Greeks looked at Logos and the way that the Jews looked at Logos. Logos has to do with one concept of the word W-O-R-D. All right. Now, the Logos was made flesh, according to John 1.14, and he tabernacled among us, and he represented who God is because he is God walking. He's God talking. He is God. If you want to know what God's like, according to John 1.18, the gospel of John chapter 1.18, then you look at what it says. It says, no man has seen God at any time. That means no man has seen God in his essence. He is spirit, according to John chapter 4, and that's what Jesus said to the woman at the well at Sychar, at Jacob's well, as we call it. What I'm saying to you is that no man has seen God, but the only begotten, the monogenes of God, the one-of-a-kind Son of God, according to John 1.18, has come to show us what He is like. When you see Jesus, you've seen the Father because they are one. All of that to say that's not the word here. The word here is rhema, which is the prophetic word. Many times it's talking about the spoken word, what Elijah would speak, what someone would say. But it also is for that word that speaks to you personally. It jumps off the page at you. What I'm talking to you about is not you going in and grabbing a verse out of context and saying, well, God spoke to me here. No, I'm talking about a verse grabbing you. 
I'm talking about God making a verse that you've probably read a hundred times or maybe never read. But you read it, and all of a sudden it leaps off of the page and into your innermost being, and God speaks to your heart. That is when the logos, the content of the word, becomes rhema. It is God's prophetic word to you. It speaks to you personally. Now, I'm not talking about some heebie-jeebie, mysterious something. I'm talking about something that is real. And this is what, as you read through Romans chapter 10, I'm going to very quickly go to verse 14 because we've got to get through this or time will get away from you and it'll become too long. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? And then he quotes a passage out of the Old Testament. But what I want you to see is he's talking about salvation, how a person can hear something over and over again, then all of a sudden they hear it and it becomes real to them. That's rhema. How shall they hear unless someone tells them? What I want you to just think about is, just think about this. How many times have people sat in the places of worship, Sunday after Sunday, sometimes for almost all their life. And then all of a sudden they hear the message they've heard probably a hundred times and it leaps off of the page, out of the pastor's mouth, out of the person's mouth, and it becomes real to them and they immediately receive it. And they say, I've heard people, I, I can't even, I don't have fingers and toes times 10 to tell you how many times people have said, I tell you, I've heard that over and over again, but God spoke to my heart. That speaking the word to your heart is rhema. That is the prophetic word that comes off the page into you. And this is why he quotes Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, the euangelion, the good news of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Look at verse 16. This is what he's talking about. This is the context. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Why? Because they've heard it. And sometimes God has spoken to them and it has become real. They've been deeply convicted. They've become convinced that what the truth is and it's to them personally, but they reject it. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our report, what we have preached to them? So he says then, verse 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the ramatos of God, by the spoken word of God, the prophetic word that speaks to the heart. Now, this is concerning salvation, but the same principle as to how we were saved is how we walk with God and know the will of God. This is why Paul told the Colossians, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, in that same manner, walk with him. This is how we walk with God the same way we get saved, is we hear the word of God and we obey it. It becomes real to us and we say, okay, that's what God says. I need to obey it. Now, the logos is there. The written word is there. Sanctify them through truth. Your word is truth, John 17, 17. That's what Jesus said on his way to Gethsemane. He's talking about the Lagos. But here he says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Ramatos, by the Rama of God, by the prophetic word of God. It becomes real to your life. Now, everybody doesn't respond just like you can know the will of God and still not do it. You can live in disobedience. And many times you and I will live and act disobediently, but God won't let us be happy with that. God won't let us be at peace with that. We have to get right with God. 
This is very, very important. Here's how you know what God wants you to do. You're reading the Word of God. You're searching the Word of God. You're saying, God, speak to my heart. Speak to my heart. Lord, I'm not going to move until you let me know for certain that this is what you want me to do. And again, this is not something that's just a precept that all of a sudden you say, oh, I didn't see that. No, you've read it. Maybe you've seen it, whatever. But all of a sudden, it jumps off the page and into your heart because you've asked God. You've sought God. You're looking for His will. This is so important. If you want to know the will of God, God's not trying to hide his will from you, but you might not just get it on the first ask. That's why God said, keep on knocking, keep on asking. This is what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and it'll be open to you. Keep on. Those are all present tense. Keep on asking and it'll be given to you. So you many times have to seek God's will, and that means you have to be reading the word. Listen, you have no right to expect God to do anything in your life other than just a miraculous intervention, and that's only going to happen on occasion. Don't expect to live your life by opening up the Word of God and God just pouring something into you. You have to walk with God. You have to study the Word of God. This is why I want you in the Word of God to where you every day are at least reading a chapter of the Word, not so that that chapter 1 or chapter 2 or chapter 5 of some book is going to make all the difference in your life, but as you read the Word of God and you form a habit, then you get in the Word of God, the Word of God will get in you, and the Logos will become Rhema. Now, let me close with this. Oh, there's so much I want to say to you, but I know, I know that it's a lot, but I want to say to you, I learned this as a young believer. In 1975, I was seeking the will of God. I'd just been saved in January 1975, and in April, I surrendered to preach. I knew I had just been in the Word, and God spoke to my heart. It was through reading through 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that God called me because it was just like He spoke to me, just like He did Paul, and He said, I have called you and ordained you to be a preacher to the Gentiles. And so on and on and on. I could tell you about that, and I've told you about that in former podcasts. But I want to tell you, that became a way of life with me, searching the Word of God. And so I was consuming the Word of God and being consumed by it. I was sitting under an old oak tree at the head of our driveway, which was a half a mile long off the dirt road. And so I was sitting there, and I knew I needed help. I knew I needed to study the Word of God. And so I had two choices where I was. I could either go to Carson Newman. And Carson Newman at that time, which was a Tennessee Baptist school, was as liberal as the day is long in mid-June. I'm telling you, they didn't believe the Bible was the Word of God. And I hadn't been saved long, but any drunk on the street of Riceville believed that the Bible was the Word of God. Now, they weren't living in accordance with it, but they'd fight you if you said the Bible wasn't the Word of God. So I figured any drunk on the street of the town that I grew up in knew more than the PhDs there. And then the other alternative was Tennessee Temple, which at that time was a great school. I know that now. But when I went down there, all they talked about was me getting my hair cut. Well, I'd already gotten my hair cut all I was going to get my hair cut. And I didn't need a boot camp. I needed Bible training. And so I ended up saying, God, where do you want me to go? Well, someone told me that W.A. Crystal had started a little school out in Dallas, Texas. It was not accredited. I didn't even know what accreditation was, so I didn't care. I wanted to study the Word of God. I wanted to be able to preach. I'd heard W.A. Crystal preach in Nashville, Tennessee, which was the farthest west I'd ever been, and I thought, this is the way I want to preach. That man taught me something, and he inspired me, encouraged me. It was informational. It was inspirational, all of the various elements. And so 
what I did is I wrote a letter and said, would you receive me? So anyway, I got accepted to the school. And so I was trying to pray, did I want to stay there with my godly grandmother who was crippled, who needed me to stay with her? And my older brother was still there. One of our brothers had been married. And so it was just my oldest brother. And I was there with Grammy. And so I just said, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need direction. Do I stay here and take care of my grandmother? Because I knew I wasn't going to Carson Newman. Do I need to go to Tennessee Temple? Is that what I need? Or do I need to go to Dallas, Texas, a place where I'd never been? a place where I didn't know anything about, a place where I didn't know one soul whatsoever. I didn't know how to get there. And again, the farthest west I'd ever been was Nashville. I would have to do a lot of things to get there. And so I was sitting under that old oak tree, not knowing anything about Rhema, Logos. I couldn't even spell either one of those and didn't know what they meant. And so I said, Lord, would you just tell me, would you show me what you want me to do. God, speak to my heart. I don't know how all this works, but God, would you speak to my heart? Now, I had consumed the book of Genesis over and over again. I'd read through the Torah. I'd read through the Old Testament, read through the New Testament. I'm telling you, I was eating it up. And so here's what happened. As soon as I prayed that, now it doesn't always happen like this, but here was a young whippersnapper that didn't know anything else, and God in His great mercy and grace and chesed and His loving kindness and generosity. I'm telling you, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was so impressed on my mind. I said, Lord, should I stay here or should I go to Texas? And here's what came into my mind, just like as clear as a clarion bell. Get out from this land from this country unto a land that I'll show you. You need to leave your father, mother, and you need to go to a land that I will show you, a land where you've never been. Now, in context, that's the way God called Abraham to leave where he was in Mesopotamia and go to the land of Canaan. And it was a journey to get there, and it took me a year to save enough money and do all the things. It took Abraham a while to get to Canaan, but he got there, and when he got there, It was the promised land, just like Dallas was for me. Now, you may not think it was, but it was for me. And all I'm telling you is I had read that Genesis 12 passage over and over again, and it was Logos. It was rich. It was wonderful. But that day became raiment to me. It became the very words of God, his prophetic voice saying, get out from your kindred, from this land, unto a land that I will show you. And there, and you know the promises that he gave him. Now, I'm just telling you, this is the way God confirms and affirms his will to your life. And he will do that. The vast majority search the scriptures, know the will of God. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.